0: All right. Hello and welcome to the Clipping Chains podcast from clippingchains.com, where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host, Chad Andrews. And hi, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. I'm sitting here trying to focus on my posture, something new for me. At age 37, posture, who'd have thunk it? All right, guys, we're going to do something different today. Today, on episode 17, I want to give a very warm welcome to my guest, Michael Langer, who, along with his girlfriend, Kenzie, walked away from a lucrative engineering career in Houston, Texas, and moved into a van. But the story doesn't end there, guys. A lot of people do that. Only months later, seemingly on a whim, They smashed the entire Pacific Crest Trail, hiking over 2,600 miles across the American states of California, Oregon, and Washington. Today, we will hear Michael's perspective on this wild and unexpected journey, but it doesn't end there. Next week, please stay tuned for an interview with Kenzie King, that's Michael's girlfriend, who shares her own unique perspective and motivations for their abrupt shift in lifestyle. And guys, it's a different story, so hang in there, totally different. After all, it takes a special couple to trade in a solid paycheck for a heavy pack and mosquitoes for five months. It sure does. Okay, for the die-hard climbers, I hope you'll excuse this departure from the climbing narrative that is so typical of this podcast and website. Michael and Kenzie are indeed climbers, but our focus is on funding the adventurous life. You heard it at the top. And sometimes the adventurous life involves hanging up the chalk bag for five months and walking really far. Not for me per se, at least not right now, but for somebody. Okay, we discussed a whole range of topics with Michael Langer today. We discussed why you would leave a well-paying job and travel in a van. Who's that for? And how did they fund this adventure? You know, you got to have money somewhere and they chose to walk away from their jobs to do this. Also, a look at mental health and why someone would need a break. And then, of course, we dived into a whole lot of logistics on the PCT itself. What kind of gear we need, resupply points, pack weight, day-in-the-life routines, and then stories, of course, the people, the community, the weather, the wildlife, bears, rodents. Oh, my. We covered it all, guys. And then a little bit about how you get back to society, because I can tell you, or at least I can imagine, that coming off of five months of living in a tent wearing only the same outfit feels pretty weird to be back in regular society where people don't live in tents and change their clothes three times a day or whatever people do. And then finally, why Michael doesn't see van living as a long-term way of life and how they plan to reintegrate into society, as we'll say. There's a whole lot here, and in the show notes I've provided some links about the PCT, including some very enjoyable books about backpacking that I've enjoyed over the years, and I think you really will too. Also, Michael has been busy since leaving the PCT, documenting people in pursuit of passionate crafts. That, folks, is a mouthful. (laughs) <laughs> I really recommend following Nervous Excitement on Instagram. Michael's trying to capture that nervous excitement of new ventures through film. And I've posted a link to that page in your show notes as well. Really check that out. I think he's doing great work, guys. Okay. So before we dive in, Michael often asks himself when faced with difficulties on the trail, quote, who do I want to be in this moment? End quote. I find that such a powerful question to always be asking ourselves. We don't need to be on the PCT or backpacking to ask, who do we want to be in this moment? I think it's a really valuable lesson. And with that, let's dive into the high adventure life and times of Michael Langer. All right, let's do it. Isn't that how it always is, no matter what? You've got to go to the source, even if it's something like a chili, like, why can't you just drive it down the road? I don't know why, yeah. but like, <laughs> you're not going to get good Italian food outside of Italy. I mean, you will, but it's going to be better in Italy. I don't know why that is. Right. Is.
1: You can move the flour, but you can't move all the ambiance.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, we're rolling anytime. Finished chewing my food here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, Hello. I'm going to get
0: hungry if I don't eat something. Well, yeah. Thanks for hanging with me, man. I'm glad we're doing this. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. And for those who aren't aware, you know, you're not going to have like big neck re- name recognition or anything in the climbing world. I reached out to no. you and your girlfriend, Kenzie. Is that how she, is that what she goes by? Yeah. 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 Because you guys recently completed the full Pacific Crest Trail and I wanted to first off congratulate you on that.
1: Yeah. appreciate it. It's a, it's a pretty huge accomplishment. I think, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's cool to. The people you meet along the way also, you kind of share that experience with them. And um, after we got off the trail, we followed up with a few of them around the United States Mm -hmm. as we were kind of making our way back to Albuquerque.
0: Yeah, and there's obviously tons I want to get into on the nuts and bolts of how you ended up here, the trip, and now what you're up to, you know, since. Now, when did you finish? How long ago have you been done?
1: uh, We finished the first Week of September. First week of September. And that was kind of a rush. Okay.
0: And you started when? Uh,
1: March 20th.
0: March 20th. So let's see. Yeah. What's the mental math here? April, May, June, July. uh, Yeah. So pretty much that's (laughs) the typical, what, five month experience, more or less?
1: Yeah. More or less you can take more rest days or you can pull longer uh, periods where you're hiking, but it typically takes about five months. Okay. It's 2,600 miles and um, people typically do it themselves. Um, But there's a a few people we met that were doing it as a couple. But yeah, there's a lot of camaraderie out there. Um, It was definitely like a crazy experience when we were investigating on whether we should do it or not. We watched YouTube videos and tried to do as much research as we could, but when we were going in... We hadn't really done a backpacking trip over three days. <laughs> wow. Okay. So to I mean, day one, I was just we were setting up camp and I was like, I'm not sure if I'm cut out for this. <laughs> this is like five months of back to back. I mean, you're out there, you're by yourself. So but it ended up being a great experience.
0: Well, let's back up for, for folks who aren't aware. This let's let's define what the what the PCT is, right? I mean, so you're starting at the Mexican border and you're hiking all the way through California, Oregon, and Washington to the Canadian border,
1: correct? Right. It's a single track trail Mm -hmm. that goes all the way through. A couple thousand people do it a year. You only run into probably a couple hundred people while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. But um, so it's it's well-defined. People have done it before. There's an app on your phone that people comment on all the water sources, on all the towns that you're going through. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have a good idea of, where you're going and if you're off trail or on trail, which uh, happened a few times, forest fires that were popping up. There's different weather events that happen. And so you're just trying to like keep, uh, like look ahead in the next five days and um, you're carrying all your food with you. So Mm -hmm. you're trying to plan. And we only had to ration food, I think for like one week. And then after that, we just overpacked food everywhere we went.
0: Okay. There's so much to talk about here, let's back way up and let's talk about how you and I cross paths. Originally, we were both kind of <laughs> climbing around. Um, we were in Oregon and Smith rock, right up in near bend, Oregon. And yeah, uh, I guess you- I've been, I've
1: been actually, I've been listening to the power company. Okay. And, uh, okay. I heard you come on there. so <laughs> okay. I think I added you on Instagram or something. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, I don't know what the circumstances were me reaching out, but I think it may have seen that we were in the same area. Right. And so I was like, what the heck, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'll just reach out to him. And yeah, lucky enough, we were in the same area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And my wife and I were traveling and you and Kenzie were traveling. So let's, let's back up to the roots of all this. So what was your life like? Let's say, so this was fall of 2020. I think this was October at the time. Tell me if I'm wrong here. You guys started your road trip sometime shortly there before before, like in September or something of 2020. What was your life like before this? Yeah.
1: We were in Houston. We were both engineers. And uh, we both wanted to take like a sabbatical or a Mm -hmm. trip out. And so being in the climbing community, I just saw everyone in vans. (laughs) And I wanted to have a taste of it. So I I bought an empty Ford Transit high roof. And uh, then the pandemic hit. And so it was actually kind of nice because, um, anytime I was home from work, uh, I had this like pet project to work on and gotcha. it was quite, I thought it was going to be an easy experience cause I had already built cabinets before. Um, thank God there were so many, um, resources on, you know, wiring up a lithium battery bank and putting mm-hmm. solar panels on top. And I thought it was going to take me, you know, a few weekends here and there. Um, but it was pretty involved. I was I have a garage apartment at the time so I live above this kind of like workshop studio and I was trying to get it done and we had two hurricanes that summer so uh, mm. my garage would like flood and I would be like walking around standing water with like an extension cord on my back and like trying to like jigsaw out this piece and um, fortunately I met this guy at a climbing gym who, was a professional carpenter and he was like, Hey, if you need any you know, resources, he himself was trying to build out a Ford transit van. And so he was like, yeah, bring it over. And, you know, we can kind of talk shop. You can use my, uh, my table saw and stuff like that. And so I was really fortunate to meet him and ended up building it out over the course of the summer. And I highly recommend that everyone builds their van. Hmm. I think, uh, I've, I've met a lot of people who, you know, buy some package. And uh, when you're driving your van, there's a lot of, it's like, it, it's in an earthquake a lot of times. So <laughs> yeah. You mean stuff just break. rattling
0: around inside?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're putting your cabinets through the ringer. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely glue and screw every joint. And um, I mean, we've been really fortunate, knock on wood, not a lot's broken. I can't imagine if you just bought something and something starts rattling or falling apart just the stress of okay i have to shut down and look at this area and, you know then hop on with customer service or something i feel it's a lot better if you just build it yourself
0: hmm. but okay well so looking back big picture again i mean so you guys are engineers yeah. in houston and you're just wanting some sort of sabbatical like what kind of time frame were you thinking originally
1: if we weren't really sure i think she wanted Probably is six campaign? months to a year. Okay. Yeah. Kenzie, my girlfriend, when we met, actually, like our first date, I was p- pretty adamant. I was like, I'm I'm getting out of this city. And she was like, Well, that's great because I'm getting out too. I'm going to take a sabbatical <laughs> for a year. There was a rough plan for a sabbatical. I know this is a financial podcast. So <laughs> sort of. we just been, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if someone living in a van should give financial advice. I think that's a, it might be a, Uh, footnote you might want to look at but yeah um we've been saving up money kind of dreaming about just retiring for a year Mm -hmm. Uh, you know if i'm going to be completely transparent um i had hurt a disc in my back um, a year prior to when i took off in the van and the i thought it was just going to be like a small injury but it ended up being this like odd like uh like mental uh i just like i would have when when i was in an environment where i was really uncomfortable like i would have like a lot of pressure in my head Hmm. and i was just like it was kind of a gift because i was like hyper aware that like something isn't right like i need i need to shift something in my life and i was so comfortable in my job and you know i got I was an engineering salesman. Like I had tons of uh, freedom. It was a lot of work-life balance, kind of odd. I was always on a plane or in a rental car. But mm. yeah, it just started kind of like tapering up. And I would have this. I just I remember I was in an airport one time and I was about to get on a flight. And I was just like reading my book at a terminal. And all of a sudden, like my like my eyes started to well up. And I was just like, what is happening? I had like hmm. no idea. I wasn't thinking any sad thoughts or anything, but it would, it would come up and then it would go away and then it would come up and then it would go away, just like random times. And so I just, after a while, it started to like have this kind of like fog over my life. And I was like, man, this is not, I don't know what's, what's going on. I didn't know how to define it. So yeah. So I was like, well, um, life is still pretty good like i'm dating this girl and i've got this van going on and i'm just going to take off in the van and you know hit the highway and i'm sure once i hit the highway everything's going to go great Mm -hmm. um and since then it has and um doing the pct was a great experience and i think taking a break was like really good. Uh, I kind of feel obligated to say that. Like, if you're experiencing that, like the best thing you could do is to go to like a professional mm-hmm. because trying to fix it yourself is. I've just I've have an engineering mindset with it, and mm-hmm. I thought I could diagnose the issue, and nothing compares to going to a professional about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's hit the road in the van and. I took off first and Kenzie was still working in Houston.
0: Okay. Well, I guess jumping in here. So to, to make this decision, I mean, obviously maybe you've got some, some mental things kind of taking you in this direction. How comfortable did you have to feel like financially? I mean, was this just totally like, I, I, you know, I'm winging it or did you, because I had these similar feelings early on in my career. I mean, this has been over a decade now, but. I, I also yeah. lived in Houston. I don't know if we talked about this. I was in Houston as a geologist, Northern Gas. And, uh, and, and yeah, there's something special about that town that makes you really want to get out of it. <laughs> and yeah. uh, But I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I couldn't get the courage to kind of drop it all and walk away. So how did that calculus work for you differently?
1: Um, I think, I mean, that's why you know hurting my back was kind of a gift and that it, it mm. almost forced me. To make a decision, but I was really I was looking at how much I was saving, how much I was actually earning off of those savings, and then doing the math on how much I'm paying in rent, how much I'm, you know, if I quit my job, how much I'm going to pay in, in health insurance, and really looking at the numbers, mm-hmm. and it it seemed like it was going to be a financial free fall for a little bit. So I, it was like I could either get a different job, like some people were like, "You should go into real estate, or you should, mm-hmm. you know, try this sales job, or this or that," and just nothing appealed to me. I guess when I was looking at the numbers, I was like, "This is a very poor financial decision." <laughs> but um, I couldn't. No, that's fair. Get away. I couldn't get away from the fact that, like, I just didn't feel any passion about sure, sure what I was doing with the majority of my time, and it had nothing to do with. I mean, now that you take a lot of time off, you sort of realize, you know, what you're passionate about and mm-hmm. what really you ident- like resonate with, I guess. I don't know. I was always involved in some kind of hobby, some kind of like maker space, some kind of like I did woodworking and metalworking and 3D printing. And I was always exploring new avenues. And then something just, I just got tired of having having it on the back burner all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to dedicate more time to it. And although it seemed like a poor financial decision, I guess I noticed that maybe life would have a lot more color if I took a break Mm -hmm. and sort of tried to like live intentionally or, you know, figure out what the heck that even means.
0: So did you, did you set off with an intention to just have enough savings to live this way for a year or something, or did you have some sort of plans for maybe making income on the road? What did that look like for you the day you drove off? I mean, to the extent you feel comfortable talking about it.
1: Yeah, I think I had, I mean, I sold my truck. Um, so I just had one vehicle I had, all well, my possessions were in like a nine by nine storage unit in the van. And then I had enough money to wear I could reasonably live for like two or three years okay. and I would just be like really low. But I mean, I would, I mean, most of my investments are liquid. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: push comes to shove. I could pull them out, but I didn't really foresee myself being comfortable after not being comfortable, but um, like just hanging out for a few years. I think after a while I'd probably want to get moving. Oh, but totally. I really just wanted to see, What would happen? Like, I feel like it's almost worth saying that like 50% of the problems you have or you think you have, like, they go with you.
0: And your problems follow you. I agree. I think a lot of things we blame on our careers or work. And then you realize when you don't have those anymore and you still have those problems, you're like, oh, damn it. It's me. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And and maybe but, that's but what like you're realizing to. that's kind of a gift in itself. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I mean, because otherwise you'll just keep blaming it on the job or whatever. But maybe having that time away is that gift you're talking about to realize, oh, it's actually some things maybe I need to work on about myself.
1: But it is it's great to be mobile and to like try new things, go new places. The PCT in itself is something that I really highly recommend because you're you're truly like abandoning all decision making like you wake up in the morning and you have one focus and that's just a f- hike further down the trail and going from the van to the pct was interesting because the difference is, is in the van there wasn't a singular focus there wasn't like you have guests on that they want to just climb harder and they're climbing right. at you know a crazy elite level so i think they would have almost what we had on the pct they would have like this focus of this is planned and our entire life is going to be structured around this while we're here. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that on the on the PCT because you, everyone you interact with is, is kind of on that same road.
0: Well, let me jump in with a question. I mean, you'd backpack no more than three nights ever. At what point along your trip did you guys decide, like, let's just go do the whole PCT, like five months of backpacking straight?
1: So we were in San Diego at a laundromat. and. <laughs> <laughs> like all good stories start. <laughs> yeah. And Kenzie's at um, I don't know, we had fast internet and Kenzie was like, hey, you know, uh the lottery's up today. We should do it. And I was like, okay, we'll just, you know, get passes. And then as soon as we registered, had permits, um, we started looking into like getting a light backpack and getting a light sleep set up. And we already had the tent ironed away. Um but you don't really need that much to like the Pacific Crest trail, but I mean, you need a lot of time. Certainly. Lo and behold, we were, we found a a trail angel that would store our van near the terminus, near the Southern terminus. Mm. And so, I mean, it kind of seemed like we got permits. And then the next day I was handing my keys to this stranger and I was like, okay, well, uh, yeah, make sure it's, You know, if you, you know, start it up every now and then, I guess, and I'll see you in six months. And it was just kind of a trip of, you know, you start hiking and a lot of people, I mean, pretty much everyone was like, oh man, when I first started the PCT, I was so excited about the trip ahead. And I was just thinking about how I had just handed over all my possessions to like your home. Someone I didn't. Yeah. To someone I didn't know. And, um, I hadn't been well-versed on the whole trail magic, trail angel situation where Mm -hmm. there are people who live along the trail and they just love helping people with like no expectation of any reciprocation Mm -hmm. and it's it's one of my favorite things about the trail you're just constantly like someone will give you like free Pop-Tarts and you're just elated because you're kind of on a calorie deficit for the last six days in the woods. And you're like, you're running out of food and you're just so grateful that someone would stop and help you out. I mean, it wasn't all Pop-Tarts. There was one guy in the desert section that was cooking mashed potatoes and short ribs. Wow. And he was a cook for a tech company. And he said that he had all this, food left over from when he was giving online demonstrations for COVID. And so he just brought him to one of his buddies that happened to be ahead of us by a mile.
0: This truly was kind of spur of the moment decision then. Like you hadn't gone off with the intention of doing this when you left Houston by any metric, right?
1: No, but I had watched, um there's a YouTuber, um, Elena Osborne. I watched okay. her stuff on YouTube
0: Okay, from a
1: plane and I was just like, this is... This is amazing. I, you know, I would love an opportunity to try this out. And then, Kenzie was just really hyped about it, and so I'm glad she was because it was great.
0: So, how different is it? Like, you know, and I've done some backpacking, maybe up to a week at a time, not a whole lot more than what you had done prior to this. How different is it through hiking versus just a shorter trip? I mean, what are the primary differences? Obviously, a lot of the gear you're carrying is the same, I would imagine, but. How different is that experience?
1: Yeah. um, A lot of people early on said to manage stress levels, they were like, don't think about it as a 2,600-mile hike. Just think about it as a bunch of backpacking trips back to back to back. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good definition of it. Um, You're going anywhere from, like, most of the time it's like a five-day stretch or a a seven-day stretch, but they could be as short as three days or as much as nine days. and you're just going from stop to stop, town to town, um, filling up your bag with as much food as you can. It, it was kind of, when you're on the trail, sometimes you're people that had done, they had done it before, they had done multiple through hikes. It was observation that like kept happening over and over again that everything they were carrying was extremely light. They didn't carry any luxury items. And then... They always carried extra food and there were, there were always the people like handing out food to other hikers along the way. They say that you like you carry what you fear. So if you, you you're packing your bag and I was scared of being really cold at night. So I packed a bunch of layers and a Mm -hmm. bunch of extra clothing. And then there are these hiker boxes when you're going. And if you come onto a hiker box, someone will dump like, all the extra things that they just, they don't have any need for anymore. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of sift through it. And oftentimes there's like a lot of like trail snacks or, um, but it was interesting, like in the first hundred miles or 200 miles, it would be like the huge Swiss army knife or like Mm -hmm. a huge multi-tool or like anything that was heavy that really didn't serve any purpose.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you, you know, you'll see that in a lot of these narratives, like, I don't know. Bill Bryson's Walk in the Woods or Cheryl Strayed Wild—they all started with way too much stuff, and yeah. immediately like loathe it and just start just burning it or lo- trashing it or getting rid of whatever they can.
1: Yeah, and and when you're when it's all you're doing all day, I mean, you notice the slightest change in 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 your pack. In in it, it's like you're obsessed about it. I never thought I would be so obsessed about weight. Um, when I figured out that I didn't have to carry um, wet wipes for the bathroom and <laughs> wet wipes for cleaning my face at night, I like I thought I was a genius. I thought, oh, if I use the wet wipe to clean my face at night and then I save it, then I can use that as toilet paper and then pack that out. And man, I, I only have half the amount of wet wipes. <laughs> and so that was like probably like a third of a pound. But uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love this idea of like multi-use too. getting multiple uses out of like one item.
1: And certain things people kind of, you think are going to be extreme. And then by the end of it, you just have a completely different perspective. Like I had one shirt, one pair of shorts that had underwear inside them. And, um, I think like two or three pairs of socks and that's all I needed for six months. Great. The socks would wear out. and You would have to change those, um, mm-hmm. like mail yourself a new pair or whatever. But, um, yeah, you, and then like you, you come out of that situation where you had one outfit for six months. And I don't know, you just look at the rest of civilization. And you're like, wow, this is right. You just like, look at a closet and you're like, wow. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those minimalist people that wears like a black turtleneck and talks about minimalism all the time, but <laughs> living in a van and like, especially being on trail makes you realize like all the packaging that you're using and 20%. everything that you just looking around, like we need Roombas because we don't want to sweep the floor. We can't take five seconds to sweep our floors. Mm-hmm. You know, we have like, I was just thinking about buying a massager, like a, one of those guns, And then I was like, well, I have my hands, like I can use.
0: <laughs> Put a lacrosse ball against the wall.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we should give up everything, but I, sure. I think it's, you know, as we're looking at, you know, how do we, you know, save the environment? And I think a lot of it, like the power's in our own hands. To, yeah. Yeah. To do it, you know, absolutely. So,
0: So, logistically, I mean, you talked about sending items ahead of time. Was that something you guys did before you even started? Or would you be on the trail in Southern California and say, oh, well, I'm going to really need this in Oregon? Because I know folks do send a lot of food and gear ahead of time. But considering how short notice you guys did this, how much, to what degree did you guys do that?
1: We sent like maybe six or eight boxes ahead of time, scattered around a couple hundred miles at a time. And that was nice because We could like some items we really loved, like beef jerky, Mm -hmm. really loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I sent like maybe six or 12 pounds in, not not all at once, but broken up. Mm -hmm. And, um, but if I had to do it all over again, if you're in a town with a huge grocery store, you can just pack yourself a huge box with what you want and then send it to the place where they don't have grocery stores Mm -hmm. or it was really intimidating when we first started because they have it's 2,600 miles of walking, and it's like, well, where am I going to want food, or what kind of food am I going to want, or um, and people have different kind of strategies for you know how often to resupply and stuff like that. My sister sent us a resupply box with a bunch of like Whole Foods uh, snacks, which were amazing. We <laughs> ate those over the course of I tried to ration those as much as possible cause they were really nice. Uh-huh. Um, but any, any sort of like, like calorie density, was huge. Pro bars were amazing. Um, mm. so
0: was this mostly food you were sending? You didn't do like the new shoes along the way or anything like that or?
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. I had, a. Uh, I bought it. <laughs> You're supposed to like, um, a, a lot of people say that you should try out, um, shoes along the way and see what, what works for you, but I saw this huge sale that was going on where I got these Ultra shoes for like 70, I don't know, 70 bucks when they were normally over 100. And so I just bought six pairs of those and sent them to myself along the trail. So mm. if you have shoes that you know work for you, then I think you're good to go. Um, but some people ran into problems and they were trying to change brands or they were trying to, and then you get blisters and you, um, have to kind of slow down to make sure the shoe fits to your foot. Um, but yeah, I shipped all my shoes ahead of mine of where we were going. Kenzie did it the other way. She tried different pairs as we went. I mean, there are a few stages in there where you you might need micro spikes or you might need um, mm, okay. like an ice axe to help you get through thick snow. Um, but that's kind of like, you're going to see that in any guide. so.
0: So is now maybe this is old school advice for people who used to use the big clunky kind of leather hiking boots. Did you feel like you needed to like wear all your shoes in a little bit before you sent them ahead? Or could you just get some trail runners straight out of the box and just hit the
1: trail? I sent trail runners with these, uh, these super feet insoles inside okay. of them. Um, and I hadn't used them at all and it was no problem. Okay. Were, but those were also like zero drop shoes with mm-hmm. like a supportive insole that was already, there wasn't a lot of cushion to break in. Um, if you were, if you're someone who, I don't know, I, mean, I don't think anyone ever did that actually. Like you mean wearing in wear, the shoes?
0: Yeah, I think that's like when, when it was more in vogue to wear a big old beefy boots that are just so stiff out of the box.
1: Yeah. I don't think anyone does had, that anymore. We met a guy on trail that was from Massachusetts and he, was like heavily into the, the park ranger community. And he was like, yeah, when I get to the Sierras, I'm going to have, I think I'm going to have my leather boots on. And when he got there, I think he quickly realized that you want the lightest possible shoe. You don't want um, anything beefy, but the trail itself is like pretty well defined. I mean, it's not easy to go over passes by any means, but it's not like you're, you know, going into the wilderness off road and you need a, you know, really sturdy, thick military boot mm-hmm. to go through all that stuff. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, to I mean, to the extent possible, I mean, talk me through a day in the life. I mean, we obviously get you're out there just walking, but are you guys walking every step of it together? I've met couples who actually would separate all day and just kind of honor their own natural pace and then meet up at the end of the day for camp. I mean, how social is? are you? Are you mostly just in your own head, just hiking all day and just thinking about whatever? Or is it pretty chatty and social? I mean, yeah, just tell me, like, what's that like?
1: It's a little bit of both. It's, uh, you kind of nailed it with the natural pace. I think me and Kenzie both, uh, you know, depending on the day, sometimes I was hiking faster, sometimes I was hiking slower. Normally, like, sometimes we'll meet up for lunch, but you'll, you're kind of like, I'll meet you in the next, I don't know, 10 miles. And, we'll meet for lunch and then we'll go another stretch. And if there's any obstacles in the way, like a river crossing or something like that could be a problem, I would always like wait or Kenzie would wait for me. That way we both knew we got across the, mm-hmm. the barrier. Like one time we were getting off trail and going into Bishop and we had to go over this pass called Kearsarge pass. And it was just gorgeous. Um, But to get Off trail and go to Bishop. I can't remember the mileage, but it was a big spur. It was like maybe six miles to get off, and you had to go over this pass. And it was just there was so much wind, and we were out of food. Even when you get down to the edge of the spur to try to talk someone into like picking you up and taking you into town, that was in the middle of nowhere. And so it was, uh, it was unexpected. And it made Bishop twice as good. But yeah, as far as, far as like a day in the life, um, when you're by yourself, you're you're with people hiking a lot sometimes, but then you kind of just run out of things to talk about. All right. And so you'll just be on your way um, by yourself. And when you do that day after day after day, I think for months, it's like um, like I know I don't know what it's like to be like a Buddhist monk or whatever, but um, I can kind of appreciate. The headspace they're in, they must have so much recognition of the patterns of thoughts that they have naturally, and and just what's running through your head. Um, like taking time just to sit with it, kind of shows you a perspective on your own reality and like mm-hmm. how everyone else is processing their reality. Um, when you're like with the same group of people and you're all doing the same thing and there's not a lot of outside influence or outside stimulus, you, you start to realize, like, I'm really getting to know this person. I get to see how they are naturally, you know? And then you sort of have this, like, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you also have a look in the mirror of, like, this is who you are on the trail as well. Like, mm-hmm. So you just have, like, an increased awareness. You could be hiking up a mountain, And it's pouring rain and everything's wet and everything's cold and the sun's setting and your electronics are dying or in my case, at one point they were dead and you just don't know how long you have to hike until you get to the campsite to set up all your wet stuff and sleep in like your dry sleeping bag surrounded by all these puddles. But who you are in that situation is, it's just important to remember, like, I made it through that. I can make it through this and I can be that person in that situation. I can be that person in, you know, whatever situation in the future there is. Like, um, Hmm. there's no, there's no, there is an SOS button on your satellite phone, but you can't press it. You're really (laughs) injured. So you can't just be like, well, I didn't want to be here. So.
0: No, I appreciate that. Can you give me some stories? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you're alluding to some tough times. What did you guys face? I mean, tell me, like, I don't know, weather, animals, people, what what were the kind of, what are the things that are going to stick <laughs> with you from this?
1: This wasn't something I experienced, but this is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, we were hiking in, uh, I forget, I think it was Northern California or Oregon, but we were hiking in like a group of three or four and there was a, there was a team of two behind us and we were going on this ridgeline and it started to like speckle snow a little bit. And so we were about to leave the trees and go into this ridgeline. And someone in the group was like, hey, guys, it's been like 25 miles. Like, I know I could go 30, but I'm just going to stop here. Like, you guys are welcome to join, but I'm stopping here. And so we all looked at each other and we're like, all right, well, I guess we'll stop here. And so... Um, we kind of like started making a fire and the snow started getting a little bit thicker. And then we saw the team of two pass us and just keep going um into like the exposed ridgeline. Um and it just turned into an absolute snowstorm. Oh, and no. um we're like setting up our tents and like we're trying to like make sure the fire is iced out so it doesn't spread at all. And just kind of like we were in the process of cooking dinner and then at the last second had to bundle up and like put everything away. And the whole time where I was just laying there in my tent, I was like, man, I hope that guy's okay because this is crazy. I mean, the trees themselves with the wind were like all just like billowing through and it was like snow. Like we don't get snowed on or rained on a lot on the PCT. It's kind of a, one of the easier i guess weather situations to be in okay so that was just far out and then and then hearing his story the next day of yeah so it's like pounding snow and he actually had uh one of his shoes was like burnt open previously so he was just there was a lot of things that were going against him he was like i didn't sleep at all but we set up our tent in the middle of the snow and um, and just wrote it out. I guess another story, there was this one guy that kind of an enigma, like you never knew where he was. Like he would he would just appear on the trail out of nowhere. Like <laughs> the tallest peak that you go onto is Mount Whitney. And we woke up at one in the morning and we're hiking up to Whitney and it goes from grassland to rocks to now we're in complete snow and I have a headlamp on. And we're just trying to make it there before sunrise. And I think this is at like three in the morning, but I come across this this guy just sleeping in the snow. And I was like, Dongo, what are you doing here? And he was like, Oh, I'm just just waiting for people to start hiking up with me. I decided to sleep in the snow. And so I was asking him, like, you know, do you have any tips or advice on like how to sleep in the snow? I can't believe, you know. That's comfortable. And he was like, no, no one should do what I did. This is not comfortable. This was is... he just
0: on a pad in the snow, literally? Or do he have a tent? or what? Yeah. yeah. Like
1: his his gear wasn't everywhere, but he was just laying down. So he got up and I was like, do you have a headlamp? And he was like, no, I don't have a headlamp. He was like, I'll use your light. And so then we started going. It was a great memory. It was just this gorgeous sunrise. If you ever have an opportunity to hike Whitney at sunrise, it's so worth it to wake up at the crack of dawn or in the middle of the night and then be there at the crack of dawn. Um, okay, it's noted.
0: I've yeah. never been up there. And,
1: yeah, it's 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 a great hike.
0: And that's not officially part of the PCT, right? Or is it?
1: It's not, yeah.
0: but... Um, Worthy departure.
1: Yeah. And everybody, like, talks about their experience about it, so you would have serious FOMO if you skipped it. Okay. <laughs> also, there was a... a this same guy uh, picked up, like, there was, like, a hot spring on the way. And so, he we're all concerned about weight. And this guy, I guess, trucked in, like, lamb, like, five pounds of lamb and cooked it for everybody. Wow. Um, from the nearest town. So, he's putting in extra miles and definitely made the experience a little more interesting.
0: How about... Um... Animals, like my wife is perpetually afraid of bears. Like when we go backpacking and that's just like all in her mind. So you were out there uh-huh. for 2,600 plus miles. Like any scary, like cougar, bear, snake, whatever stories.
1: Um uh, most of the animals know that it's a human trail. Yeah. So if they see you, they just sprint away. I saw, we saw several bears and all but one was running away. There was one where... We were setting up camp and my friend, there was two people there. One guy was eating dinner and the other guy was showing me like, he's like, oh man, I'm going to be like your real estate guide and show you all the tent spots here and (laughs) make sure, you know, we can evaluate the the spots together. It was kind of funny, but um, there was a bear that just started getting closer and closer and more and more curious. And so we just started like yelling at it to go away. And so it kind of shuffled. little way and at this point kenzie had caught up to me and so like all five of us were just yelling at this bear and it was like 20 feet from us and it just sat down and put its back against a tree and um it was kind of it was a little surreal because i was like please keep behaving just like a dog like please just (laughs) stay there like (laughs) like forget it wasn't it wasn't out to I think he was really interested in the food that one camper was cooking. So we kind of like just kept yelling at it as my friend packed up his tent and then the other guy packed up his dinner. And then we went up the trail, maybe like, I think another two or three miles.
0: Oh, you decided to kind of move on ahead.
1: Yeah. Um, But he couldn't have been less scared of us. I think he was pretty used to people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's where they become a concern when they're just no longer have any fear, but. My experience has been yeah. the same as yours. I've seen a number of them over the years, both backpacking and just hiking. And they usually just scurry off. They're just like, ah, no thanks.
1: Yeah. There was, a, there was one guy that had his son with him, like a like a young kid. And he had a rifle with him. And he said they were bear hunting. And I was like, wow, that's pretty extreme. He was like, uh, I was here last year and I saw 16 bears. Mm. And but they just know to stay away from the trail because that's where um, we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're out there, but I think, you know, you can, you can hike pretty safely knowing that uh, if it's a well-defined trail, I don't think you're going to be hassled.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Busy popular area. Sounds like you had no issues. So that, that's re- reassuring.
1: Yeah. Had a lot of marmots, which were <laughs> oh yeah, pretty funny. Yeah.
0: They chew up your gear.
1: We had one mouse that came through and uh, tried to get to our trash, actually, which had no food in it, but it just had trash. Um, but other than that, we got really lucky. Uh, uh, plenty of people had problems with like rodents or um, mice. We were sleeping in this open cabin one time. Open meaning like it's just kind of a shack. It was just kind of a roof, really. Right. Um, with walls and I shined my headlight in the middle of the night. Cause I just kept hearing this scurrying and this mouse was eating this gummy bear. And I was just like, ah, oh, son of a gun. And so I just went to bed and then the next morning we were kind of making breakfast before we got to leave. And people noticed that, uh, there were gummy bears like hidden everywhere in like beneath the steps. And so this guy was, I guess taking a little bit of everyone's food and just storing it in this cabin for safekeeping. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. That, those are really popular on the Appalachian Trail, those kind of open sided shacks, and every time I slept in one, I regretted it because there's just like infestations of mice and they just run yeah. through all the wood structure and you hear them all night because they know uh, people sleep in there with food, and it's just so bad
1: yeah that's that's it's tough to sleep when you hear scary
0: yeah so let's talk about food a little bit before we move on from pct stuff what what is a day in the life in terms of what you're eating like nutritionally look like and i'm sure it varies but what's kind of the i don't know rough approximation of yeah breakfast lunch dinner snacks
1: uh, a lot of bars <laughs> so a lot of cliff bars a lot of pro bars um any sort of like calorie dense food i was really i used to really uh stick my nose up about like snickers bars and candy oh yeah snickers are so great yeah as soon as you're out there you're like i'll take four like just give me (laughs) as many as i can (laughs) i need to eat as much as i can um a lot of like uh couscous Mm -hmm. um we had a oil bottle that someone gave us he was like i have a new oil bottle shipped to me every so odd miles. So here's my old one if you want it. And it was like, it's sealed really well. Um, but just putting oil like, um, so you're eating lots of bars, lots of snacks, uh, lots of candy. Um, but for your meals, we had a lot of like couscous and ramen and, um, some packaged food that was called mountain Mm mamas. That was just a really good meal. Um, And I think she's still making them. If anybody out there wants to order from her, she has like a bunch of different recipes and everything's all like organic and healthy and um, pretty reasonably priced too. I mean, they were heads and shoulders above any of the like mountain house or um, any of the other brands. Sorry, I'm getting kind of scatterbrained, but we would eat couscous or ramen or some of these, uh, camping meals, we would try to split those. Um,
0: what about protein? Sounds kind of like a lot of carbs and sugar, obviously, fat. What are you getting for protein?
1: You know, I always thought that I needed to eat just at least one chicken breast every day. Um, and that was another kind of epiphany on the trail is that I don't need to like work out every day. I don't need to eat a mountain of chicken every day. Um, <laughs> I can get by with just... Just kind of like a vegetarian-ish diet. Um, uh-huh. That being said, we had really healthy appetites. Like anytime you would go into town, you're like, "Give me a double hamburger." Yeah, that's you what know. I've heard. Yeah, yeah, and it was amazed. You would you would eat and eat and eat, and then you would be stuffed, but you wouldn't be tired. Your body like somehow knew that it needed more calories, so you would just sit there and wait for it to digest. And I mean, you would have like double entrees pretty much.
0: Yep. I mean, um, I can relate even from just short trips. So I imagine that cumulative nutritional kind of – I mean, you've got to be falling into a pretty good caloric deficit at times, I imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when I've, you get off like a multi-pitch or something. And it's sure. been like eight hours since you've eaten anything real. And you're like, please, just – I want to inhale everything. Yeah.
0: I think anyone outdoorsy can – or just – you know, into fitness at all can relate to that to some degree. I mean, if you've done more than just an hour gym session, you know what that feeling is like of just, just pile it on.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: And coming back, I've really started to love food again. Like having, you know, like a six egg omelet with toast or something. And I was just like, Oh, this is amazing.
0: This is sounds more like my life.
1: I have so much energy now.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about the post PCT transition. I mean, cause you guys live like this very simply, you know, just walking, carrying everything you own for five plus months. And then all of a sudden you're back in civilization. So a what's that been like? And B what are you guys now doing? Where are you today?
1: We wanted to kind of keep the momentum. From the trail um and so when we first got off we got the van back from or we stayed with some family for a little bit that was in seattle near the end of the trail and then flew to san diego picked the van back up made sure it was up and running and then um we wanted to volunteer on a farm because we were i don't know farming just kept on coming up Throughout the PCT, throughout the van life, we just always wanted exposure to a farm, and so we volunteered at this small dairy farm, and that was pretty rewarding and eye-opening of uh, just how much manual labor is involved with taking care of livestock, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to do it like organically and you're going to compost the cow manure and all your all your waste into back into the garden, and then. Um, you're like rotating the cattle around this community. So, and they would just go to town and eat up all this brush. Um, So we volunteered there for a few weeks. I met someone that was in film or had just graduated film school. My camera on the PCT had gotten pretty destroyed from all the moisture. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I bought a nicer camera and started uh, shooting with that. After the farm, we got, back into the van headed to now we're in Albuquerque following up with um Kenzie's family Kenzie has um some remote work that she's looking at and she wants to kind of establish kind of like a home base in a city hmm. somewhere um just to have more of a routine
0: this is engineering work again or something totally different
1: um, it's engineering work but it has to do with uh more of, I guess, the finance aspect of how companies, uh, she could tell you more about it, but um, kind of more like the financial side of how a company evaluates. um, She's into like renewable energy. So Mm -hmm. yeah, she wants to get more involved in that. And it seems like there's a lot of opportunities. I used to joke she got so many phone calls on trail of uh, you, you know where are you at and like are you ever thinking about coming back to work and um Oh interesting. So she must have been doing something right because um, <laughs> a lot of people are are after her. So, so um, it
0: sounds like this could be somewhat winding down into a more normal existence of having a home base and perhaps still yeah. traveling but not full time.
1: Exactly. We're kind of finding our feet again and um
0: well, how do you feel about that?
1: Um, I like being in a city. I like having a routine. Living in a van is kind of living in like a, a dog panel for humans, like <laughs> you're, which is a like a, an extremely good analogy for anyone that like wants to get involved. Like, if you're comfortable living in it, it's it's nice. It has all the amenities that you need. Um, like we have running water and lights and and a full size bed or a queen size bed in the back and um, we can do dishes. We can cook. Yada yada yada. I mean, it's great, but it's not. Um, it's not the same as like living uh, or having just like a consistent place to sleep at night. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely a benefit in that. So as we're visiting family, we're sort of realizing that, not realizing, but kind of figuring out. Yeah, it'd be nice to have some place to live and be in a city. Um, but I think depending on I guess for me, I'm kind of getting more into uh, videography and photography and um, I've shot a few different things happening in Albuquerque. Um, Like I was at a glass blowing studio uh, a couple days ago. And then before that I was uh, recording these like performance of Indian dances and Being in a van has just this really like strong advantage that um, you can go to the work, you can kind of seek out what things in your that you want to go to and and film and document and Mm -hmm. um, being able to having that experience of living in in a sprinter van, um, I think is pretty valuable because you're always going to be comfortable. You just, you know what you're getting into, you know what the limits are. Um, so I, I plan on using that experience in my career some way, but I'm not, you know, married to the idea of living out of it indefinitely.
0: Yeah, that's that's where we landed. I mean, and I agree. I, I thought it might. I'm like, oh, let's just see what it's all about. But I think we realized pretty quickly that it's something that you can transition into at times and have fun. But especially... Yeah knowing we have a home base to come back to felt all the more sustainable. Cause that was the hardest part for us was like, well, how do you transition out of this? Like we didn't have, you know, some apartment or home to return to, and we just decided it's enough. So how do you think you would make that transition at this point? Or have you even worked it out to that degree?
1: Mm, It's kind of a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll say to your point of like that question of what are we going to do? Uh, if you're, li- if you're planning on living in a van with another person, you're really going to know that other person's, like, uh, like, I need to go to a gym and just, like, run out all of, just get the blood flowing, mm-hmm. like, at least once a day, like, or, or a few times a week. Um, but I'm always going to want to do that at least one time a day. So, um, or if you're, you know, a climber, you're going to want to, you know, post up at crags as much as you can. And so I guess logistically looking at like you just, there's no way I think you could plan out to the nth degree what you're doing every hour of every day. But I guess just know that um, you're going to get really good at, at communication and and saying what you want and working with the other person um, to figure yep. out your schedule.
0: Let's get into that a little bit. I mean, uh-huh. now you've, you left the road you guys aren't married or anything, but you've been on the road now for over a year and you did the PCT for five months of it, you know, in yeah. very challenging conditions. Both both of these lifestyles, I think you would agree, are challenging ways to live. I mean, you just steal your life down to the basics in very small spaces. How's that been for you guys? Um,
1: I think it's, it's, I would recommend it for anyone that feels like they want to make a change in their mm-hmm. life. Um, and it's definitely a lot easier that We're both like able-bodied people and we can take a step away from work. I think working on the road, I haven't tried it, but a lot of people kind of lament how they need a wireless, a fast Wi-Fi connection in a quiet coffee shop or a quiet area. Um,
0: Yeah, I thought it basically sucked,
1: (laughs) to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Especially like you never know when the rules of society are going to change a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And they may not be so hospitable for people that live in vans. I just, I remember going to like a Starbucks coffee shop and I bought a coffee, and then they were like, oh, sorry, our bathroom's closed. And I was like, no, like it's, you need to have a bathroom open because like you're the only, like I don't, you need to open your bathroom. Like I need to use your bathroom. <laughs> um, so when the rules change and you have to adapt to that, um, sometimes your whole day has to adapt. To what's changing. Well, yeah, um, like chasing
0: water. I mean, there are certain places I saw that have been tamping down on letting people fill up water and things. Yeah, you can spend a yeah. whole day chasing those errands.
1: I, yet yeah, when I crossed over the border to California and all the gas stations had padlocks on their water spigots, I was mm. like, what is this? Like, what? <laughs> Didn't plan for this. I always thought I could just refill at a gas station. Um, luckily, I found a workaround. Normally um the postal service has I guess when they built all their facilities, they always had water spigots outside. So if you go to any post office, um, as long as it's like a standalone building, they'll have water for you. Interesting. And then having a gym membership helps as well. Uh like YMCAs mm-hmm. typically are, you know, they, they cater to people that are like Elderly or um, homeless, to be frank. And so when you pull up and you're like, hey, I need to, like, I was just wondering if I could use a power outlet. And I was also wondering if I could hook up to like a sprinkler hose for like five minutes. They, I've, I've never been denied. Hmm. So that's pretty good. Or if you're in a pinch, just go up to any hotel and the person working the front desk is normally, especially if it's a night shift, the person doesn't, they, They're just like, yeah, yeah, use whatever, man. It's fine. Like they, you know, as long as you don't cause it like, you know, as long as you don't unplug something, you're not supposed to unplug. They normally have no problem with it.
0: Interesting. Until this is released. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Until this is released. I'm going to get an email from
0: the postal service.
1: Yeah. Hey, I pay taxes. (laughs) (laughs) We paid a lot of, um, money for post office stuff yeah. and the PCT. So.
0: No, I'm just joking. No, I appreciate yeah. that. And I think others will too. Cause I mean, these are the stuff that I like to talk about that doesn't get mentioned a lot. I mean, it's easy to talk about all the glorified elements of this sort of lifestyle. Of course, we all love traveling. We love seeing new places. Um, yeah. You know, but there's a lot of on the ground logistics. It's honestly hard to capture until you've done it. I and mean, we can talk about yeah. it. We're blue in the face, but until you've been out there and deal with it, you know, sitting in weird laundromats and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things, you know?
1: Yeah. The laundromats are always interesting. Oh, always. Um, You, I mean, there's such a wide array of people that are living out of their vehicles that, and, and everybody has to go to a laundromat. And so, uh, especially if you're like in a hot area, like I guess Southern California will probably be the hottest where, I mean, there are just so many people because it's so easy to live out of a vehicle. So, you get into a lot of conversations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, it sounds like in terms of long-term ambitions, you guys, I mean, we kind of covered it to some degree. It looks like at least Kinsey's looking at some part-time remote work, maybe back in the mm-hmm. city. Do you have any ideas on where you'd like to be or is that still kind of TBD?
1: Uh, Someplace warm. Uh, I don't want to go too far into the snow. She's yeah. kind of talking about how she likes to ski a lot. And so i um, oh, trying wow, to gonna push it tough. south, <laughs> but we'll see where we end up. Um, uh, I might have to learn to ski, but don't tell her that. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of TBD. I'm putting all my um, all the things that I shoot for people on this Instagram called Nervous Excitement. Okay. Because um, I was talking to so many people. I used to be really into the kind of like maker community. They have these maker spaces where you can rent machinery. Mm. And there's kind of like a moment where you're doing a new project or you're, you have like this new obsession. And so um, I kind of want to just document that nervous excitement in other people's lives Hmm.
0: um i'll get a link to that um
1: okay right on right on yeah post trail i followed up with some people one person was he had helped us out by giving us a place to stay and when we were in medford and we're you know sitting in his living room and he was giving us wine from this winery that he worked at and he's like me and me and this guy over here we're going to start a coffee shop in Leadville and it's going to be the tallest coffee shop in the nation and I just I left the house thinking like man that's super ambitious like to just you know pick up and go to a different town and start a coffee shop mm-hmm. but I went we were driving back from the farm to Albuquerque and so we stopped in Leadville and shot some stuff for him and, um, just really happy for him. I mean, the shop turned out amazing. Um, he's super passionate about coffee and, um, there's just a great energy huh. when you're sitting there. Um, this is Leadville, Colorado, to- correct? Yeah. And it's called Zero Day Coffee. Okay. Um, a zero day on the PCT is when you don't hike any miles whatsoever. So <laughs> okay. you're taking a break. Um, gotcha. And the whole thing is kind of trail themed, but I think the, the biggest component of it is just like the attitude of the people there are. Um, it's like a lot less small talk and a lot yeah. le- more of just, you know, coffee. And then also, I guess what you're passionate about as well. So it was cool.
0: Hmm. No, I like that. Appreciate that. Let me ask you one question. We talked offline a few weeks ago now. And when I asked you about Mm -hmm. the full PCT, I mean, yeah, it seems like you've always had, or at least in the early days, you had more reservations about this than maybe Kinsey did, you know, but you did even mention that even, even to this day that you'd maybe recommend the JMT, which is correct me if I'm wrong, the John Muir trail segment in California over the full PCT. Do you still stand by that and why?
1: If you just want to witness the beauty of like, walking on a trail and you just want to get your feet wet, then the JMT is a perfect trail to do that on. Um,
0: how many miles? Kind of how long? Oh,
1: I think it's like 260. Yeah. Or, I could be wrong on that. It's kind of like but a two-week or two
0: ordeal-ish for people, I want to say. Depending on how fast you do it, maybe.
1: Yeah. But you would get a sense of the elevation change, you would get a sense of kind of like the stillness of being out there and kind of like how you handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it would just be a, like a great break. If you don't want to, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good recommendation for anyone out there.
0: Hmm. Okay. And that's not actually, is it part of the PCT or is that a different segment that you guys kind of did as a side?
1: It goes with the PCT until it doesn't. So there's, okay. it branches off into a different area and I think it ends near this place called like a thousand lakes. And we ended up taking that JMT branch instead of the PCT branch. Okay. um, Because I think it was like a burn area on the PCT. And so we were like, Oh, we'll just do the JMT instead. And it was gorgeous. That's what I've heard. Um, And it's kind of, it's really nice when you're out there. I feel like everyone you meet is doing the exact same thing and just taking a break. Um, (laughs) Quote, unquote, taking a break and, and like quite the break. Yeah, getting getting after uh, the mileage and pushing um, towards the end, it was it was like a pretty big endurance run. We were mm-hmm. doing like twenty five plus miles a day, and type mm-hmm. two fun. Looking over the pictures, there's just I mean, you were in paradise the whole time. So
0: yeah, not always easy to realize because you're tired and hungry and cold yeah. or hot or
1: or I should also say this depending on the weather like the JMT was pretty mountainous and I mean, you can look at the elevations for yourself when you're evaluating it, but all of Washington was pretty sweet too. Mm -hmm. They had, um, when when you're, when you're going along from Mexico to Canada, we pass through the Sierras, which is where the JMT is. And then when you get done with that, everyone in their review of the PCT says, well, Um, the Sierras were the most beautiful part, yada, yada, yada. And so as you're going through Oregon and you're looking at the map, you're thinking, I'm just going to go through like this. There's, there's like reports of mosquitoes all of a sudden. And then, and then there's just Washington and then you finish and then you're happy. Um, (laughs) and so a lot of, some people kind of, we met a guy that was at a sailboat in Virginia that he was living on. And, he was like, Well, the Sierras are done. Guys, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to the boat. So I think after Tahoe, he went back to Virginia to be on the boat or, or yeah, but he hopped off after that. Um and after I went through Washington, I was like, You should really go through Washington because it's it's worth it.
0: I did section J or K or whatever that is, you know, east of Seattle in the Sierras, like I don't know, thirteen years ago, which was a long story kind of a disaster, but man, it was incredible oh, yeah. scenery. Incredible scenery.
1: And lots of berries. Yeah. Like it was edible great. plants.
0: And the biggest, nastiest mosquitoes I've ever seen in my life. But other than that.
1: <laughs> it really you, was incredible. it pretty wet for you?
0: Uh, you know, it was dry weather, but I mean, obviously, it, well, no, that's not true. It did rain like all one morning. I was, But otherwise it was okay. But, you know, it's Washington. It was August, but still. Um, yeah. Some, some wet.
1: For sure i just like washington's very overcast and yeah um not all the time but when you when you hit clouds you hit them for a few days and so there was a few days where we were remarkably wet and remarkably cold yeah yeah uh we had a solar panel that was charging all our devices Hmm. and so when you know you would just wait there to the middle of the day when you could stop hiking um and if it's, if it's, if you, if you're really drenched, typically in the middle of the day, the sun's out. So you just, it's like a garage sale. You just lay all your stuff out. <laughs> so the moisture just evaporates. Yeah. And when it's overcast and you're wet and you're just sitting there thinking, I'm going to be wet the whole day and all night and maybe tomorrow. It's a, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of figure out, you know, like, who do I want to be in this moment? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> do I right. want to be the guy complaining about this or do I want to just, you know? make a joke about my ramen that I'm eating or something. Oh, that's
0: great. I, nice. know, so I admire yeah. that. How? Let's talk actually real quick. I mean, just logistically, what kind of pack weight are you carrying? I mean, I know water is variable, but I know a lot of people really geek out on pack weights and all this stuff. Do you have any clue kind of rough range?
1: Um, the maximum was in this year is when we had to carry a bear canister and we had a lot more food and not all the while I think that was like thirty-eight touching forty pounds. Okay. And um when it got that heavy, I could really feel I'm like a really long, lanky guy. Uh I could really feel my hamstrings like just begging for mercy, like please, like I'm like about to rip or something. So I think if you're like trying to stay away from injury, pack weight, trying to keep it as light as possible, um, is a good thing. Um, but as you're hiking, your, your pack weight goes from fully loaded with food to you're just crushing potato chips and, um, your, pack, yeah, your back just keeps getting lighter and lighter. Um, but typically I think he was around 25 to 30 pounds. Okay. okay. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, that's pretty good. I think. Right.
1: Yeah. I used to be um, way
0: more into backpacking. I'm kind of out of the loop these days, but.
1: Yeah. They make backpacks out of like this, like ripstop nylon fabric, which is, it weighs nothing. And then the sleeping pads are remarkably light. Now the, um, I got a quilt that was made by enlightened equipment. That was a godsend. It was so light and it was like this magical heating blanket. Like it's as long as you keep your, that was the trail angel that stored our van was dropping us off in this, uh, like Toyota Corolla with like, uh, I don't know, no passenger seat. And so we're just sitting there like getting driven out in the middle of the desert. And I was like, Oh, so you've done this before. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, any tips? And he was like, just keep your sleeping bag dry and you'll be Mm -hmm. fine. And I was like, okay. And yeah, at the end of the day, when you just wrap that thing, it just warmed up so quickly. So I definitely suggest anyone that likes camping to invest in kind of like a modern, quilt. Um yeah. I used to have the mummy bag and that would I felt like so constricted. It was kind of like a straight jacket. But once I got the quilt, you can throw a leg out, you can roll over. It's nice.
0: It's interesting. I've never attempted that. Well man, we've covered so much. Before we wrap up, I mean, looking back at your life, you know, maybe two years ago, year and a half ago, before you ever set off from Houston, (laughs) I know there's so much to Mm -hmm. kind of look back on, but what would you tell yourself then on how life might be different now?
1: Uh, just that you never know what's going to come up on the trail. Mm-hmm. You just never know who you're going to run into, who you're going to meet. Um, we uh, you, you can easily get in a rut if you just think that, you know, the next day is going to be just like the next day, just like the next day. And um, even... I was thinking about this as I was going to the glassblower studio. It's like, there's, there's opportunities all around you. Um, like this glassblowing studio was in a residential neighborhood and these guys were making all sorts of different things. There's, there's so much opportunity around you. Um, if you just want to explore a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I guess just always kind of keep your head up and be on the lookout for, you know, what you want to, surround yourself with. I feel like it's never been easier. Now you have a phone that is way too addictive, but it shows you what everyone's up to. And if, um, I guess just don't hesitate for to, to reach out to people and to, um, to try to just, uh, you know, meet new people and Mm -hmm. try new things. And
0: no, I appreciate that. And I guess, you know, before we wrap up just along those same lines, I mean, now you've, You've done the van life thing. You've done the PCT. Either one of those are pretty major life events for anyone. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any parting advice outside of that for any folks looking at any of these two activities? Things you do uh, you again. Do thing. Yeah, you can just you can do it. Okay,
1: one hundred percent. I met uh, a woman. Her name was Hellbent, and she had her. I think it was her seventy-first birthday on the trail, Wow. and she was just amazing. Um, you just if it's if it seems like it's audacious, you should try it. Um, give it a shot because, um, this is something that the guy at the coffee shop reiterated to me. He was just like, just don't forget that everything's attainable in life. Like, if you want it, you can have it. So, yeah,
0: did you have a trail name by the way?
1: Yeah, and uh, I really. <laughs> wanted it to be a cool story, but it uh it ended up not being cool. It was this goofy guy that I loved hanging out with and I followed up with him after the trail. I uh I had a habit if there was a, a wide enough trail and we were going down a steep slope, I would just use my hiking poles like I was running through a turnstile and just huffing over it. And I would just like get a lot of momentum and I would just basically sprint. Um, just to like add some variety to the day. And he was in front of me when I did it one time. And he was like, oh man, you sound just like a Clydesdale horse. And I was like, I don't want that name. Everyone's going to ask me about, you know, how I got it. Not yada, yada, yada. And then he just, he wouldn't let up. We were, I was like sneezing in the morning. He was like, oh man, you're stomping just like a Clydesdale. And then, yeah, it just stuck. Clydesdale,
0: you got that stretch. yeah. Yeah. All right. No, that's good. Well, Mike, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, anything else before we wrap up then?
1: No, appreciate you having me. Yeah,
0: man, of course. Well, thank you for your time. All
1: right. I appreciate it. Man. All
0: right, guys. Thanks for listening all the way to the end on this interview with Michael Langer. To get in touch with Michael or to look at some really exciting photos from the PCT, head on over to your show notes and you can find those links provided there. As usual, if this project is something that is bringing value to your life, would you really consider sharing it? I don't care how you do it. Social media, send an email, carrier pigeon. I'd really appreciate it, okay? That means so much to me. You subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. And if you're on Apple, man, I'd love that five-star rating or review. That means a whole lot to me and it gets this out to other people so I can perhaps help them. I don't know, Okay. Also, if you're not aware, on the website, that's at clippingchains.com. I'm still doing a lot of written content, and I plan to continue that where we talk about lifestyle tips, habits, strategies, personal finance, all this sort of stuff that can help us live a better life. I don't know. Maybe. If you subscribe there, you get a free spending and net worth tracking spreadsheet. This thing's a fan favorite. A lot of people are really happy with how they can start tracking their spending, tracking their assets, their liabilities all this stuff. Who doesn't like a good spreadsheet? I do. My throat's starting to hurt. That means we're done here, guys. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Love you. Bye.